Hey, Summit Church. My name is Justin, and normally I'm back at the uh, City Groups map, but I got the call up to the big leagues tonight, so I get to uh, close out our series in Acts for you. We've been in it about 16 weeks now. It's kind of hard to believe it's been that long. We've covered a lot. Um, if you're joining us for the first time tonight, or uh, maybe you didn't, weren't able to be with us for all those 16 weeks, you missed a week here and there, um, you picked a great night to be here, all right? We're going to wrap up the first half of the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to try to take a snapshot, all right? We're going we're gonna to Instagram the first half of the book of Acts and uh, just try to get a big picture idea of what we've been talking about for the past 16 weeks. Um, as we've been studying the Christian movement, we've been talking a lot about impact, right? That, that should sound familiar because we've probably mentioned that almost every week. Um, and that's because the Christian movement is a movement, right? And so, like, movements don't do too well if they don't impact people. And so um, that's what we've seen week after week is we've seen people impacted. And so when we first started at the, at the very beginning of this series, we saw that as the Christian movement began, as it's continued, and as it's continued to grow, the, w- the way that it's done that is by impacting people. So this idea of impacting people... Um, we've talked a lot about it, because the Bible talks about it, right? So I figure if the Bible talks about something a lot, we can talk about it a lot. So we're going to keep talking about it a lot tonight. And um, another reason we're going to talk about it is because it's really exciting, right? There's nobody that doesn't like this idea of impacting people. It's, um, it's exciting. It, it gives us a sense of fulfillment. It gives us a sense of purpose. And it's so compelling that advertisers can actually use this idea in their marketing campa- campaigns really effectively, actually. I, was, um, I thought it was ironic. As I was writing this sermon, I was uh, listening to Spotify, and those, one of those annoying commercials came on. You know what I'm talking about. They come on every few minutes and just completely halt your productivity and distract you. And um, this particular one, uh, this advertisement, was basically saying that um, we all know people that think they're going to change the world from behind their MacBook, right? Like they think if they just like all these causes on Facebook that somebody in Kenya is going to get clean water or um, somebody else is going to get a pair of shoes. But what they're saying is like we all know people like that, but don't be that person because we know those people don't actually impact anyone. Come to our university and get a degree so that you can actually have an impact on people. And so after I heard that, I was like, first, that's really ironic that like I'm writing about this and that's what I heard. But second, I was like, like how do I get that job? Like, who do they pay to do the research to find out what seniors in high school find appealing? You know, like thousands and thousands of dollars went into researching this, and that's what they landed on impact. Like, I could have told you that, Luke. The author of this book could have told you that, and he's been dead for 2,000 years. And, and not only could Luke have told them, saved them a lot of money, that seniors in high school like the idea of impacting people, but it's not just seniors in high school. It's everyone. Every one of us likes the idea of having an impact, right? No one wants to wander through life without making a difference. We may have different levels as to how big we want our impact to be, uh, but the key is we all want it. And, and so for some of us, that just may be uh, with our jobs, all right? So if, if we come home at the end of the day and we've saved our company a lot of money, if we've made a big sale, 
we're really happy with that. We feel really fulfilled and satisfied. Uh, for others, maybe it's just with our family. Like, if, if you get to the end of your life, the only people that remember you are your kids and maybe your grandkids if you're lucky, then, like, that's success. Maybe there's a few of you that think a little bit bigger than that, and so you want to have an impact in your neighborhood. And so you throw events, um, you enjoy helping your neighbors out with projects around their house, whatever it is. And so when you do that, you feel really satisfied, you feel like you've made an impact, you've made a difference, and that's great. Now, there's probably a few of you in here that you probably think a little bit beyond that, all right? For you, maybe you love Denver, um, you enjoy maybe city politics, and so you want to leverage your influence to actually make a difference in Denver. And then there may be one, maybe two of you in here, you have dreams of somehow acquiring celebrity status, um, maybe maybe also in politics, and you want to use that influence to actually make a big difference in our country. Now, these are all really good aspirations. There's nothing wrong with any of those. They're, they're actually biblical, and we're going to see that in our text tonight. But what we'll also see is that God wants something more for your life. He may want more for your life than even you do right now. You see, God wants to use your life to impact more than just your job, more than just your family, more than just your neighborhood, more than just your city, even more than just your country. God wants to use your life and my life to change the world. And not only does he want to do this, he can but the question that, we, that we've got to ask ourselves is that if this is true, if God really wants to use my life to change the world, how? Right? Like, that's the next logical question. How does that work out? What are the action steps? What we're going to see tonight, what Luke is going to show us, is that God wants to use your life and he wants to use my life to change the world. First, by changing us, then by sending us, and then by changing others, all right? He wants to change us, he wants to send us, he wants to change others. So, the first thing that God wants to do is change us. We're going to see that in, uh, in verse 34. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, God wants to change us. So if you look down at verse 34 and 35, let's just read this together. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so what we see then is a, a major change has taken place in Peter's life. That's what he's saying here in verse 34 and 35. And uh, remember, Peter is the leader of the Christian movement at this time. So this is one of the guys that um, was one of the key witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Um, this was the guy on whom Jesus said he would build his church. All right, so if someone is building a movement around you, one would think that you, you've got your stuff together, right? Like you've kind of arrived. Um, but what we see in these verses is that Peter hadn't arrived. There was still a part of Peter's life that needed to be changed by the gospel. He admits this himself when he says, Truly, I understand. That's like, now I finally get it. I didn't see it before, but now I do. See, his whole life, Peter had been taught 
that his nation, Israel, was superior to all other nations. Right? We talked about this just last week. Brian was talking about it. So it was hardwired in his DNA to think that his nationality, his ethnicity, was better than everybody else's. He had grown up in a deep tradition of racial prejudice. But what we see in this text is that Peter finally understands that God doesn't play favorites. And he articulates how the gospel has changed him right here in verse 34 and 35. And what he's saying is, God doesn't play favorite. In fact, God sees people from every nation, not just Israel, every nation as redeemable. In every nation, there's people that the Holy Spirit enables to seek God, and then God recognizes their search as genuine. And that's what he's saying in verse 35. So we know from other parts of the Bible how much change had already taken place in Peter's life up until this point. Um, He had had a change in name, right? So before Jesus called Peter to follow him, his name was Simon. Um, He had had a change in career. Before Jesus called Peter, he was a fisherman. And now he was a fisher of men. He had a change in belief. Before the resurrection, Peter denied Christ three times. And now he was leading the Christian movement. So that's, that's a lot of change for one lifetime. I doubt any of us in here are ever going to have that much change. But what we see is that Jesus wasn't done changing him yet. Even after all that change, the gospel wasn't finished. And that's because the gospel is never done changing anyone. Um, I'm reminded of this, it seems like, almost every day. If any of you know me well, you know that I'm not a morning person, okay? Um, But the problem is I'm not a night person either, so I'm kind of a 10 to 10 kind of guy. Some of you can probably relate to that. Um, My wife is nodding her head. I didn't tell her to do that. Um, The problem, though, is that I work in the fitness industry. And in the fitness industry, people like to work out at ungodly hours of the morning. And so, because I coach CrossFit and because I'm a personal trainer, I get up most mornings at 5 a.m. And so I like to joke around with my wife and tell her I'm not accountable to anything that I say before 10 or after 10. And that's funny, but it's not true, right? And so usually what happens to me is uh, as I'm on my way to work, I'm usually riding my bike, um, I kind of like start piecing together what went on, maybe the night before and the morning of, and realizing like that wasn't just a bad dream. Like I actually said that. And uh, I start realizing what a jerk I am. Like sometimes I'm just not a nice person. And so what I start realizing is how much change I still need. Like I haven't arrived. I haven't attained anything. And if you're honest with yourself and you have just a little bit of self-awareness, this happens to you, all right? It might not be on your way to work. Maybe it's while you're laying in bed at night. Um, or maybe it's when you finally get an hour to yourself in the middle of the day. You start thinking about maybe the way you behaved or something you said to somebody. And you're like, I can't believe I did that. Like, what an idiot. And um, it may not be an issue with being a jerk at certain hours of the day, but the reality is, is we all have areas of our life that still need to be changed. None of us have arrived. If Peter, the leader of the Christian movement at this time, still needed to be changed by the gospel, then it shouldn't be a surprise that you and I still need to be changed as well. 
There isn't a single one of us in this room that doesn't still need to be changed by the gospel. Whether you've been a Christian for 20 years, whether, or even if you're not even a Christian yet tonight, the gospel still needs to do a work in your life. Since I've been, um, I've been using this word gospel a lot, right? I'm going to continue to use it. Let me just explain it real quick, okay? When I say gospel, I mean the good news that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the son of God. I mean that he lived the life that you should have lived, that he died the death that you should have died, and that he rose again, and now he's in heaven, orchestrating the reconciliation of all things back to himself, okay? So that's what I mean when I say gospel, and we'll flesh that out a little bit more as we go. Let me, uh, let me just speak to those of you in the room who haven't yet committed to following Jesus. Um, the fact that you're here tonight indicates that there's probably some level of change that needs to take place in your life. And the reason that I know that is because people just don't start coming to church because everything's just dandy, right? Usually something major has happened. Um, maybe not major, maybe just patterns that they recognize need to be broken, and that's how I know that there's still some change that needs to take place in your life. Maybe, maybe you just got out of another bad relationship, right? And you've realized that if you're ever going to do relationships right, something needs to change. Or maybe from the outside, it looks like everything in your life is just going great. You're successful. You've got a good job. You have a beautiful family. You're fit. You've experienced the best that this city has to offer, and it's left you wanting more. Or maybe, maybe the way that you've been trying to make sense of the world up until now isn't really working anymore, so you're looking for something new. Um, It's only left you depressed about what you see around you. It's left you just not very trusting of other people. It's left you unhappy with yourself. And so you realize that something needs to change in the way that I'm making sense of what's going on. If that sounds like you, let me tell you something. The gospel of Jesus Christ offers the change that you need. And it's actually the only thing that offers the change that you need. Only the gospel can change your life so that you finally begin to do relationships right. Only the gospel provides the change that you need in order to experience life in this city to the fullest. Only the gospel can provide the change that you need in order to make sense of the world in a way that gives you meaning and in a way that gives you hope. You just need to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that his perfect life and his death was for you, and that he rose again so that you could experience the victory over sin that gives life to lasting change. Now, I've spoken to those of you who may not know Jesus yet, may not have committed to following him. Now let me speak to those of you who have. Those of you who are maybe a little bit more like Peter. You've already experienced a tremendous amount of change in your life when you started following Jesus and, and you got baptized, right? Baptized. You, you've had a change in perspective. You've probably had a change in priorities. Um, you've probably had a change in your desires as well. The thing is, Jesus isn't done changing you yet. So my question for you is what part of your life still needs to be changed by the gospel? 
take an honest inventory of your life right now and ask yourself that question and mean it. Really mean it, okay? Um, so maybe, maybe it's with your finances. You've been a Christian for a while, and you're still really having trouble being generous with your money. The gospel can change that, okay? The gospel can change the most stingy and greedy of us all because it points to the generosity that we've been shown in Jesus' life. Maybe it's not your money. Maybe it's with your time, all right? So you get to the end of your week, and you realize that, like, all those things that you knew you wanted to do, like go to city group or be involved in serving people with your city group or in your community or um, building relationships with people that don't know Jesus, like, you had good intentions of doing all those things, but you got to the end of your week, and all you did was work and eat, all right? That's what it feels like. The gospel can change that too, all right? The gospel can change the most selfish parts of our lives because it points to the selflessness that we've been shown in Jesus' death. Maybe that's not your problem, all right? Maybe it's with your addictions. You still find it impossible to deny yourself those things that you, your flesh just destructively craves. The gospel can change that too. Because the gospel can take the, change the most addictive people because it points to the victory over sin that Jesus secured when he rose from the grave. So the gospel has already begun changing you from the inside out, okay? But its work is never done. The gospel is never done changing us. We never run out of ideas for the gospel, or areas, sorry, for the gospel to change. And if we truly want to impact people with our lives, we must never deny the gospel the opportunity to change us. So if you really want to impact people, then you first must be changed. So after God changes us, he sends us. So let's look down at verses 34 to 43, and we'll see what God sent Peter to do after he changed him. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So, what we're seeing in these verses is that God sent Peter to Cornelius' house to preach the gospel. Okay, that's what Peter's doing in those verses. He's preaching the gospel. And that's exactly what God wants to send you to do. He doesn't just send us to be good examples, or even just to show love, or just to help out at a soup kitchen. Those are all really good things, okay? I, I want to be clear. I don't want to negate the importance of those things. Those are things that we should do if we've been changed by the gospel. 
But the thing is, God sends us for even more than that, okay? He sends us for a very specific purpose that we just read. He sends us to preach the gospel. But not only does Luke tell us what we're supposed to do, he tells us how we're supposed to do it. All right? He says, right at the beginning of verse 34 there, he says that Peter opened his mouth. All right? That's key. Peter used words to preach the gospel. And you've probably heard the, um, the often misquoted quote from Francis of Assisi where he says, uh, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. Um, it's tossed around a lot in our Christian subculture. Uh, you've probably seen it maybe on a bumper sticker, maybe on like a coffee cup uh, mug or a t-shirt or something like that. And it sounds really good, but the problem is it's not true. Right? It's not biblical. That's not what we're seeing in these verses. Peter used more than just his actions to preach the gospel. Peter used his voice. So when I think about that, that misquote, what comes to my mind is a game of charades. All right? And this game is traumatizing for me. Um, I'm not a very expressive person, so this game is terrifying. And somehow I get roped into it over and over again, probably because it's my wife's favorite game, right? She's really good at it, and so I lose. Um, basically, if, if you've never played charades, uh, what happens is you have one person standing in front of a group of other people just making them a fool of themselves. And I think it's only one minute, but it feels like ten minutes. And um, the, the catch is, so they have a word or they have a phrase that they're supposed to be acting out, but they're not allowed to use words. And so... Uh, you can imagine what happens when you get a word like Google or you get a word like emo. Like, what do you do with that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's bad. And um, so what happens is, is you're up there for, for a minute, right? And you're acting out uh, this word or this phrase, and uh, the person up there starts getting really frantic as everybody that's guessing starts just throwing out whatever words they can think of, even though they have nothing to do with, with what's happening, right? Because time's running out and you have to get the word. And um, time runs out, no one gets the word, and uh, you're allowed to say what it is. And as soon as you say what your word or your phrase is, you just watch the perplexity drop from everyone's faces, right? It's like, oh, I get it. Like, that makes sense now. Whatever you're doing with your arms, like, looked ridiculous, but now... I understand why you're doing that. And uh, that's how the Christian life is when we don't use words. See, without words, people may think that we're just moral people. People may, may think that we're another religion or maybe even another cult. A cult, sorry, not another cult, a cult. Um, they may think that we're a thousand other things but unless they hear the words of the gospel, they have no way of knowing that we follow Jesus. Does that make sense? So if you're, if you're here tonight, and you're just kind of taking this all in, um, you're not really sure what this is all about, you're just checking things out, let me help flesh this out a little bit. You may work with Christians, uh, you may have some Christians in your family, or maybe some Christian neighbors, maybe that's how you even got here, someone invited you, and... Um, you've probably wondered why they talk about their faith so much, right? At times, it's probably been um, maybe a little annoying. Maybe it's seemed a little over the top. Um, 
You know, you're not even like halfway through your coffee cup on a Monday morning and Super Saiyan over here is trying to ask you where you're going to spend eternity. You're like, dude, lighten up, okay? Like, that's heavy. And uh, you know how I am in the mornings, right? So I agree with you. Like, that's heavy. I'm not thinking about eternity um, Monday morning. Should be, but I'm not. But before you write off Super Saint as just another religious nut job, let me try to explain what's happening, okay? So let me just be clear. I'm not saying he's doing this correctly or, or in the right way, but let me explain his heart. The reason why it's not enough to just be nice and keep our mouths shut is because we love you. And that's the truth. We really do. It may not seem like that at 9 a.m. on Monday morning, but that's what's going on. And if we don't use words to tell you the good news of the gospel, you might confuse us for something that we're not. You might think we're just really nice people. Uh, You may think we're really moral people. You may think we're another religion. But if we let you think that, we're not really loving you the way that Jesus loves you. See, if we don't use words, you won't know we're Christians. And most importantly, you won't know the Jesus that we worship. See, we're using words, we're talking about our faith, not just to annoy you, but to point you to Jesus. And we believe that there is nothing more loving that we can do for you but introduce you to the one who loves you more than anyone ever could. So if we act like Christians without actually telling you that we're Christians, we're just playing shreds. But when something is as important as the gospel, we don't want to play games with it. If you claim to follow Jesus, don't miss this, okay? This is, this is a big deal. Don't play charades when people you know and you see every day have a spiritual need that only the gospel message can fix. Don't play games when the souls of people you know are hanging in the balance. So after God changes us, he sends us, and then he changes others. All right, That's what we're going to see in these next verses, verse 44 to 48. Now follow along with me. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Look at the dramatic change that has taken place in the people that were in Cornelius' house that day, the people that were hearing the gospel preach. Luke says that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. There's a lot going on here. Um, there's a lot to process. But the first thing that I want to point out is the timing of all this. Okay, notice that Peter wasn't even done yet when this all started happening, right? So the, Luke says that while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So Peter hadn't given an invitation. He hadn't finished what he was saying. But the Holy Spirit fell. These people believed and they were changed. So not only did they believe, but there was also an element of change that took place in their life, right? That's what we see 
in verse 46. They're speaking in tongues. They're extolling God. Um, as I was studying these verses, I, I heard another pastor put it this way. Okay? And what he said was these two changes are significant because they represent two kinds of changes that take place in every person's life when they start following Jesus. So the first change is a sociological change. All right, we see that with the speaking in tongues. So think back to the beginning of the book of Acts, all right, 16 weeks ago. The first time that we saw speaking in tongues was at Pentecost. And at Pentecost, the apostles preached the gospel, and everyone that was present heard their words in their own language. And so at Pentecost, God ended racial superiority by making the gospel accessible to all cultures. So it was no longer just Israel that had the gospel. It was all nations. Here in Acts 10, God enables the converts, including us this house that day, to speak in tongues to authenticate the truth that when the gospel takes root, there is no longer an attributing of moral superiority to cultural differences. So just like Peter realized in verse 34 that God shows no partiality, remember that from the beginning, the gospel breaks down the walls of racial prejudice and creates a people who see other people and cultures the same way God does. All right, so that's what's going on with the speaking in tongues. There's a, there's a sociological change that's happening with, to these converts. Secondly, all right, second change is the psychological change that takes place. So the people that were in Cornelius' house that day experienced a permanent change in worship. Okay? So they were no longer playing God of their lives. They were now worshiping the God of creation. So what we can take from this is until God reigns on the throne of your heart, you haven't really changed. Okay? Until there's a change in worship, there hasn't been a real change at all. So just to kind of recap that real quick, the speaking of tongues was representative of the racial and cultural barriers that the gospel breaks down. And extolling God was representative of the change in worship that takes place when someone acknowledges as Jesus as Lord of their life. When I think about the power of the gospel um, in situations like this, I think about a grenade, okay? And not in a violent or a, a destructive sort of way, um, if you can give me that. Um, think like Looney Tunes on a Saturday morning, you're in your PJs, okay? That's, that's what I want you to feel right now. Um, and so a grenade contains an intrinsic power to change things. When the pin is pulled and that grenade is thrown, there's nothing else that needs to be done. That grenade has the power in and of itself to do the work that it was intended to do. When it's thrown, everything within about 500 feet is changed. So if you're in that 500 feet, you will be changed, regardless of how you feel about the situation, right? That's how much power that grenade contains. So in a similar way, the gospel contains an intrinsic power to change people because it's accompanied by a divine power. So just like you would pull the pin on a grenade and you would, you would throw it and wait for the dust to settle... Once you've delivered the gospel message, you wait for it to do its work. So what I want you to see is you can't change people, okay? You can't. No matter how hard you try, you cannot. But the gospel can. The gospel has the power to change people. 
So, if you've been praying for change in someone's life, maybe someone in your family, maybe a close friend, maybe a roommate that you had in college, coworker, neighbor, someone at your gym, and it just doesn't seem to be happening, ask yourself, have you told them the gospel? Right? That seems obvious, but have you? Have you told them what Jesus has accomplished on their behalf? Because here's the thing. If you haven't, you haven't done everything that you can for that person. In fact, you may actually be doing them an injustice. See, they may see your life, and they may be really inspired by the way you live, but until they hear the gospel message, they won't know how they can be changed too. When you're in a situation where someone's life is going up in flames, um, and they come for you, to you for guidance, what do you give them? Do you give them a hug? Do you give them a smile? Do you give them a pat on the back? That's, that's a good place to start. All right? Those are all good things that can be helpful. But unless you tell them about the one who holds all things together, their life is going to be an endless cycle of devastating fires. Let me, uh, let me just be really honest with you right now. Um, let me just tell you how this text has, uh, has kind of changed the way that, that I process relationships in my life. So I've got a relationship in my life, and uh, it's with my father-in-law, okay? And it, it's not a healthy one at all. And uh, a lot of people that I tell about this relationship, they tell me that it's a waste of my time, that it's hopeless, um, they tell me that I have even biblical reasons for giving up on it. Um, there's a lot of days when this feeling of helplessness is completely overwhelming. Because I like to fix things. All right? A lot of you guys are like this too. You like to fix things. You always try to fix your life and it doesn't work, right? And most things in my life, I can fix. Right? If it's my truck, I can fix it. If it's my house... I can fix it. If it's your deadlifting form, I'll fix it. Not because I know how to fix everything, all right? Just because I know how to use Google. And um, the thing with this, with my relationship with my father-in-law, though, is for the first time, one of the first times in my life, is I've come face-to-face with something that I can't fix, all right? I've Googled it. Google doesn't have an answer for this one. So I'm reminded it seems like almost weekly, of my inability to fix this relationship. And some of you probably have relationships in your life like this, right? But here's the thing. If I really believe that the gospel contains an intrinsic power to change people, all by itself, regardless of what I do, no matter how religious they are, no matter how irreligious they are, then I'm not going to give up on that relationship. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel until it does its work, okay? God doesn't give us a timeline for when it does its work. He just says it does. So tonight, and really for the past 16 weeks, right, as we're wrapping this up, we've seen over and over again that God uses people to have an impact. And he wants to do the same thing with you, all right? And We saw first that he wants to change you. The gospel continues to change you, right? It's never done. And then after he changes you, he wants to send you. 
not just to be nice and give hugs, but to preach the gospel. And then after that, he wants to change others, okay? And, and at the very beginning, I said that God wants to use you to change the world. And it may not be totally clear just yet how that works, so let me, let me connect those two dots. So once people that are in your sphere of influence hear the gospel message, they can finally experience true change, okay, a lasting change. And after they've been changed, their children, and then their grandchildren, and then their great-grandchildren experience gospel change, are sent to preach the gospel, and then others are changed. So you kind of see the pattern? There's a cycle going on here. That's how the world's changed. And that's how God wants to use your life to do it, okay? It doesn't happen all at once. It happens one life at a time. Let me pray. Father God, your gospel is so powerful. Lord, there's so many days that I doubt it, and there's so many days that, Lord, I fail to recognize the areas of my life that need to be changed. But I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for your kindness, and the way that you lovingly correct and show me that the gospel's never done. There's so many areas of my life that you still want to change. So I ask tonight that you would show each of us what part of our lives need to be changed by the gospel. But whether it's someone who, who hasn't started following you, who hasn't believed that Jesus was who he said he was, who hasn't believed the gospel, or whether it's someone that's been a Christian for 20 years and thinks that they've arrived, Lord, I pray that you'd use the gospel to wreck us. And Lord, after it's done that, I pray that that we would recognize and identify the people that you've sent us to and that we would be faithful in preaching the gospel with our words, not just our actions, Lord, but we'd be so intentional in those relationships, Lord, that we would be so mindful of how we can articulate the message of the gospel to people who need it. And Lord, after that's happened, I pray that you would you would just unleash the truth of your gospel, the power of your gospel, to do what you said it would. And that just like in this text, it, it changed people. Lord, they, went, they started speaking in tongues. They started extolling you. They had a change in worship. They had a change in the way they viewed the world and people. Lord, I pray that it would have that kind of impact in the people that you send us to preach to. And God, I thank you for these 16 weeks that we've seen this cycle and, and we've seen this pattern continue and life change after life change after life change. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us see how the world can be changed, how it has been changed by the Christian movement, and that you would sustain it. 